0: And so this is Be on Guard, uh, this is part of the series Good News for the Not So Good. And so if you brought your Bibles, you can read along with me in whatever translation you have on your bi- in your Bible or on your uh, phone or your or tablet. Paul says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in a cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, here's the, here's the warning here: God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts. These things, once again, repeating verse 7, these things, or verse 6, these things happened to them as examples and written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand stand up under it. So as we have looked at in weeks gone by, we have established that the children of Israel were literally children of privilege. They were blessed of God beyond measure. They had God's presence. They had God's provision day in and day out, God's protection. They had godly leadership baptized into Moses' leadership. In that sense, they actually had the presence of Christ, and that rock was Christ. They drank from the living water, so to speak. God promised, as you recall, to go before them to work through them, to overshadow them, to bring them safely into his promised land and to fulfill his purposes. And all that remained was for the people to move forward in willing, trusting obedience. But sometimes things, even though they appear to be so easy, can be so difficult, all right? Unfortunately, that's where the problem lay for Israel. They had everything going for them, and yet Paul says, nevertheless... God was not pleased with most of them. You see, here's the deal. Israel loved the privileges. They loved the blessings, but they were not interested in the responsibility that went with them. All right, I think one of the ways that you and I can avoid then the same sad failure that befell the Israelites in the wilderness of Sinai is to really have a better understanding then of why Israel did not run well and finish the race well. Uh, The problems that Paul listed, greed, talked about that last week. Today we're going to talk about rebellion and grumbling. I think it's appropriate before Thanksgiving that we be people who are thankful and not complaining all the time. And then there was idolatry and then immorality. Those things were really the keys to Israel's undoing. And each of, these, each of these individual things reflects a fundamental flaw in the spiritual and moral character, and each is symptomatic, really, of a lack of self-control. Now, we've already seen that their failure was not due to a lack of resources or a lack of opportunity. Once again, God had provided everything they needed to succeed, but they missed out on what God had for them. If you missed last Sunday, just by way of review for a few minutes, uh, the first thing we talked about was greed, longing for Egypt, where verse 10 says they, they should not lust after evil things, the King James says. The New American Standard Bible says they should not crave evil things as they also craved. Now Paul was referring to Numbers chapter 11 and how Israel had greedy desires and how they craved the food of Egypt. We looked at the effect, you want to get that please? Just, I don't know whose it is, but uh, we looked at the effect greed had on their spirits. I always wondered, did I shut my phone off today? I know I did, but sometimes I don't. And one time I actually called my brother intentionally, who was preaching in in, Northway, in, in Washington during the sermon, thinking, did he shut his phone off or not? I'm just going to test it. And he did, but uh, <laughs> brotherly love. But we looked at the effect greed had on their spirits. To them, it didn't matter that Egypt represented slavery. Mom's going, no, I can't believe you did that. Slavery, hardship, and darkness. It didn't matter that manna and the camp in the wilderness represented freedom and deliverance and God's provision and God's presence and God's purpose. All they cared about was their, their own needs being met, in particular, their stomachs being fed. You know, they, they were tired of the daily supernatural provision of banana bread and bamana bruff- muffins and banana pancakes and banana splits, so to speak. I mean, think about it this way. The manna was what is it? It's like frosted flakes. And the frosted flakes weren't all that great, Mr. Tony the Tiger. All right? No one, no one frosted flakes? Okay, anyway. So they began to feel that God had shortchanged them Greed had so consumed them that they had preferred a life of slavery in Egypt versus that of the life of freedom in the presence of God if it meant that they could indulge in their own desires. Simply put, greed is putting natural human desires ahead of God's desires. It's pursuing the physical and carnal things of this world at the expense of spiritual things. Left unchecked, Greed can grow so large in a person's heart that it consumes everything about them. That's why greed is so dangerous, and and honestly, we are in the grip of greed if there is something that you or I desire more than we desire God. And also, with that, a greedy spirit is never satisfied. And so that was last week. That message is online if you missed it. But then we come then to today, we're going to talk about rebellion and grumbling, First of all, rebellion. How is rebellion manifested in the church today? Well, it's manifested by those who do not come under spiritual authority, those who are unhappy with leadership, those who say, well, I'm going to do things my way or or no way at all, whatever. Now, Israel, you recall, didn't want a prophet anymore. They wanted a king like other nations. And yet Paul says this, He writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 9, Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Another word for try is test. Let us not test the Lord. The Amplified Bible reads of verse 9, We should not tempt the Lord, try his patience, become a trial to him, critically appraise him, and exploit his goodness, as some of them did, and were killed by poisonous serpents. Well, greed was one thing that led to the, the Israelites being laid low in the desert. And here we have rebellion against God being another. This specific incident, like last week, greed was Numbers 11. This comes from Numbers chapter 21, and verses 4 through 9 reads, The people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God. Think about this. Uh, if you're going to speak against somebody, just don't make, make sure it's not God. You know They spoke against God and against Moses and they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food, manna. And then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them and bit the people. And many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can be can look at it and live. And so Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Now, the bronze snake there that, that's referenced in, in Numbers 21 anticipates the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Even Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, 14 and 15, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, at first glance, it might appear That the people's problems was once again greed. After all, they were complaining once again about the food and the water. But at the heart of their complaint, and I want you to see this, at the heart of their complaint was a spirit of rebellion. The people spoke against God and Moses. Now prior to this, God had delivered a powerful Canaanite army into the hands of Israel. Numbers 21, 1-4 through 4 says, When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Aetherim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Then Israel made this vow to the Lord. If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They completely destroyed them and their towns, so the place was named Hormah. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but, verse 4, but the people grew impatient along the way, or on the way. Now, fresh from this victory, they traveled around the land of Edom, it says, verse 4. And it says the people became impatient because of the journey. You see, rebellion was honestly at the root of their complaint. They didn't want to go that way. They didn't want to listen to Moses. They didn't want to follow the Lord's direction as God was leading them through Moses. Perhaps they thought the road was too long. Perhaps they thought a more direct route through Edom would be quicker. At any any rate, they questioned God's judgment. They question God's judgment. Church, anytime time we think we know better than God, we're in trouble. Let me say it again. Any time we think, anytime time you or I think that we know more than God, that we're better than God, or we know more about this situation than God, we are in trouble. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Essentially, rebellion is putting God on trial. God, can you really do that? Did you really mean what you said? Did you really mean what your word says? Are you really true to your word? Can you really be trusted? God, we're not sure. We don't believe you. Psalm 78, verse 8, calls this earliest generation of the nation of Israel, and I quote, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, they were not loyal to God, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Psalm 78, verse 8. A few verses later in the same psalm, it says this in verses 18 to 22. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? When he struck the rock, water gushed out, and streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us food? Can he also supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, verse 21 of Psalm 78, he was very angry. See, if God be for us, who can be against us? But if God be against you, who can be for you? Hartman paraphrased, not in the Bible, all right? But uh, seriously, he was very angry. It says his fire broke out against Jacob, his wrath rose against Israel, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. I mean, you can hear the tone of their rebellious words as I was reading those questions. See, the irony is that according to Numbers 21, verse 4, it was the Israelites' impatient impatience with the journey that sparked their rebellion. The length of the journey was not God's fault, it was their fault. See, God gladly would have taken them on a quicker, more direct route into His purposes, but Israel wasn't ready. Their hearts were not prepared, their spirits were not faithful to God as I read earlier, In Psalm 78, verse 8, the Israelites spoke against God and Moses honestly because of their own shortcomings. How is it that we like to blame others and not take responsibility for ourselves and our own actions? You see, Israel insisted on having its own way and then blamed God for the delay in progress. Rebellion is simply opposition to or defiance of authority accepted moral codes or social conventions see god god's anger burned against the people because of their rebellion and as a result he sent fiery serpents among them now i don't know about you but i don't like snakes i like scorpions spiders those kind of things and to be bit by a by a venomous snake and die would be like one of the worst things i think but but they died many died from the the snake the serpent's bites and yet, interesting, even in this story of rebellion even in the story of God's judgment, we still find the opportunity for repentance and and restoration and and that kind of thing, see once the Israelites realized the magnitude of their rebellious nature and their sin they appealed to Moses who had a heart of God heart for God, a heart of an intercessor saying, God uh, be merciful here, and so He interceded for them before God, and then under God's direction, Moses fashioned a serpent out of bronze, mounted it on a pole, set it in the midst of the people, and any snake bit victim who looked upon the bronze serpent, thereby acknowledging their trust and dependence on God for their deliverance, were healed. All right, so greed and rebellion, once again, are very, very serious matters. God doesn't take it lightly, and neither should we. And honestly, because of our sinful nature, we are all just as prone to rebel against God as the Israelites were. You know, we sang it this morning, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. If you don't believe that's in your heart, friends, you don't know your own heart very well, because all of us are challenged by that. In fact, rebellion is at the heart of all sin. The sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was rebellion against God. In essence, they wanted their own way, just as Israel here wanted their own way. And so the root of rebellion lies in every one of us. That's why you and I must constantly guard our hearts, guarding our lives, lest, that, lest greed or rebellion gain a foothold in our lives and our spirits. Rebellion is an attitude that continually calls into question God's character, God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's power, God's compassion, and it will ultimately upset us in our race, causing us not to finish the race that God has laid out for us. 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity, And idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. And then 1 Corinthians, once again, 10, verses 6 and 9, we must be on guard so that we never get caught up, the message paraphrase says, so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. Church, we must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. Always keep in mind that you and I have been created for His pleasure. He hasn't been created for our pleasure. And we need to keep that in line as well. And so greed, rebellion, and then we come to grumbling. Grumbling is simply mouthing off to God. Nor grumble, verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Simply stated, grumbling challenges God's actions, grumbling challenges what God has allowed. Now, in this regard, the third sin here in this list of five things that Paul listed out, the third sin of grumbling is similar in many ways to greed as well as to rebellion. Grumbling takes many forms. It blames God for problems and hardships. It criticizes God's actions and God's decisions. It challenges God's wisdom and authority. It it displays a negative and critical attitude. Uh, Grumbling here challenges the authority of those God has chosen and raised up into leadership. I mean, grumbling gives only grudging obedience. Kind of like the boy who was told to sit down and behave himself. And the boy says, well, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm still standing on the inside. That rebellion, that grumbling, that that kind of attitude there. Well, the specific incident that Paul refers to about grumbling, then, is found in Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 35, and because of time, I won't take time to read 35 verses this morning, but here's the Reader's Digest version. A company of 250 Israelite men led by Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, challenged Moses and Aaron's authority, and they questioned their leadership. In reality, they were challenging God, who had called and appointed Moses and had consecrated Aaron to be the high priest. As a result, Moses summoned each of the leaders to offer incense to the Lord. Aaron would do likewise, and whichever offering the Lord accepted would indicate who God's chosen leaders actually were. Well, at the appointed time, fire from heaven consumed the 250 men offering incense. And here's the story. The earth opened up and swallowed Korah, Dathan, and Abiram along with their entire families and all their belongings. Can you imagine that? The earth opens up, sucks them all in, and closes up. The Bible says they went down alive into the grave. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that would make a great movie, an action-packed movie to the likes of Indiana Jones kind of action. I mean, the earth opening up, imagine that. Imagine that on a big screen. That would be awesome to see. Wouldn't it be cool to see this in heaven someday? All right, you guys blew it. You guys were grumbling. You were complaining. You're down, you know. But such an undeniable display of God's power and will should have been enough to convince the rest of the Israelites. You know something? We just saw what happened to those dudes. We're not, we're not going to com- complain anymore. But check out Numbers 16, verse 41. Numbers 16, verse 41. It says, the next day, say that with me. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. You didn't see what happened yesterday? They all knew about it. If they didn't see it, they heard about it. I mean, once again, this is Indiana Jones kind of action here. All right? You throw in Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, what a movie. You know. But anyway, it says the very next day, the next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people, they said. The next day, they grumbled again. In other words, they did exactly the same thing that got, uh, that got the 250-plus families sucked into the earth. Now, a note in the study Bible says this, the fire Bible, the people had been so deceived that they thought they were the most spiritual among the people. They were so deceived, thinking we know better. Friends, once again, take heed if you think you stand, lest you fall. That's the lesson here. Now, as a result, God's wrath in the form of a plague fell upon the people. And God said to Moses, get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. Now, if I was Moses, I would say, God, okay, take care of them, you know. You can be glad I'm not God. (laughs) Moses, heart of an intercessor, once again, And it says in verses 46 through 60, Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it along with fire from the altar and hurry and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. In other words, God Please be merciful to this rebellious generation. And in verse 48, it says, He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Pause right there, I'll get to verse 49, 50 minutes. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. That's intercession. Anytime you pray on behalf of somebody else, anytime you pray for someone to get saved, you are standing between the living and the dead. And you're saying, God, may the plague of sin be cut off in their lives. God, may you bring repentance to my family member or whoever it might be. And the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague, in addition to those who had died because of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Friends, you and I need discernment to make sure that we don't Follow leaders who are not from God. Grumbling is often the fruit of a rebellious heart and a spirit not yielded to God. Unbelief also plays a part. See, if our faith is small, or if we have a stubborn spirit, it's easy for us to challenge God when things aren't going our way, when things aren't going well. God, why'd you allow this to happen? God... Why are you letting me go through this hard time, this trial? God, why'd you do this? God, why'd you do that? Why, why, why? Now, let me just pause and say, it's not wrong to ask God questions. Jesus himself asked God a question, why have you forsaken me? So it's not wrong to ask God questions, but we have to be careful that we don't allow those questions then to turn into the grumbling and complaining and the blaming of God or whatever. We must be very careful because it's easy to let such an outcry of searching faith cross the line into resentful grumbling. Once again, God only always honors the honest cry of faith. Grumbling, however, has no place in the life of the child of God. Are you known to be a thankful person? Or are you known to be a person who is always negative and critical and grumbling and complaining? You know what I'm saying? That's that's what this is about. See, sometimes God allows you and me to go through stuff. Difficult times, hardships, trials. And during these times, God may seem to be distant. But that's when you stand on his word and say, I know his word says he'll never leave me nor forsake me that he is always with me. But God might seem distant, he may seem silent at times, but please understand that everything that God does, everything that God allows in our lives is for our ultimate good. You know, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Not that all things are good, but they work together for the good. And so, it's often difficult to remember that when you're going through a crisis. But one thing, one thing that really difficulties do is reveal our heart status. They show us the condition of our faith life. Now this was one of the reasons really that, uh, of why Israel faced these challenges in the wilderness because God was testing them. He was seeing what they were made of. Moses made this clear when he spoke to a, uh, to a new generation of Israelites poised to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 5 says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to do what? To humble you. To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. And to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commands. He humbled you, here it is, See, God led Israel for 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble them and to teach them to depend on God, to do things God's way, not their way, to teach them to obey God. He fed them so they would learn that life comes from God. God fed them supernatural manna, if you will, week or day after day, week after week, to teach them, hey, man does not live on bread alone. That, that ultimately, the foreshadowing would be Jesus Christ being the bread of life. God is your very sustenance. That's how we live. And then God disciplined them that they might grow to maturity and be prepared to enter the land and fulfill the purposes and the plans of God. All of that was for Israel's good. Deuteronomy eight sixteen says, He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Lord, we don't want this manna. We want the stuff that Egypt gave us. But you were in bondage in Egypt. But we'd rather be in bondage if we can do things our way. Do, do you see where that goes? You know? So the key really to avoiding the sin of grumbling is to clearly, clearly, clearly understand the character and the nature of God. If you want to do a study sometime, I'd recommend studying the attributes of God. Study. Study the various attributes, and just see where where all that fits in in the the big picture of things. See, it is God's love and God's concern for us that motivates everything he does. Don't lose that. Difficulties do not come our way because God's ill-tempered or mean-spirited or because God doesn't like us. Difficulties come as a normal part of life. Here it is. Because we live in a fallen world, it rains on the just and the unjust. Guess what, church? We are all, we are all going to have problems at times. We're all going to face trials at times. We're all going to have difficulties at times. And and, and really, God allows them, God permits them, because God knows that if we allow them to, they're going to help us grow to spiritual maturity. I've always liked J.B. Phillips' translation of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says this in J.B. Phillips' translation, When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Welcome trials and troubles and temptations as friends. That's what he says. Realize that they have come to test your faith, and to produce in you the quality of endurance. To produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed, and you will find that you have become men of mature character. Once again, God is wanting you and I to be transformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Romans eight twenty nine. In Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus says, He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. The New International Version reads it this way. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So what is God after? God's after Christ followers that have some endurance built into them. And so God allows tests, trials, temptations, difficulties to come our way to, here's here's my, my my paraphrase to prove our metal, to see what we're made of. There's an illustration that David David Ravenhill relates in his book. He says my car was desperately in need of some new tires, so I decided to stop in at the local tire store, which happened to sell Dunlop tires. Upon entering the store, I looked up and saw a large banner advertising five to six tires. The tires ranged from their standard economy tire to the most expensive premium grade tire. Each, under each tire was a short summary of its characteristics. He writes this, the economy grade read something to the effect that the tire was good under average conditions. Economy tire. He says, when I read the statistics under the premium grade, I was impressed with all the tests That it had endured and never failed. This tire had been tested in all the great racetracks of Europe. It had been driven in extreme conditions and at great speeds. Just reading the advertisement convinced me, he writes, that this was the tire for me. As I stood there, looking at the banner, I sensed the Lord saying, and I quote, that's how I look at my people. Some are good under average conditions, But the ones I can truly depend on are those who have been tested under the greatest trials and difficulties and yet show no sign of failure or fatigue. Rather, they have come through the test with greater faith and trust in me. End quote. Then he writes this, I believe Job was that sort of man. God bragged about Job to the devil. Go ahead and test him. Drive him as hard as you like and see if he'll lose his trust in me. See, God, once again, tests us for the purpose of discipline and not punishment. It is for correction, it is for instruction, so that we may be built up in our faith and be prepared to run the race with endurance. Testing and discipline help us know our own hearts so that we can love and serve the Lord with pure and true motives. Church, we need to learn to welcome God's discipline. Matter of fact, the Bible says if we're not disciplined by God, we are illegitimate children. I think the King James used the word bastard children. We're illegitimate kids. So basically, a sign that you're God's child is that you are being disciplined by the Lord. Now, every loving earthly father hopefully, should discipline their kids. Everyone doesn't. I've seen the little brats in the stores, all right? Now, I'm I'm just, yeah. I used to work retail, and I thought that kid needs a good spanking. All right, that's just my own past coming up, because as you know, the rod was not spared, and that's okay. But every loving father There's the key. The loving father disciplines their kids. Well, how much more does God love us than God allows that in our lives as well? Why is that? Because God wants to see every one of us fully enter into his purpose, his plan, his will to accomplish his purpose for our lives. As it says of David, he served the purposes of God in his generation. See, God wants to be able to look at each of us and he wants each of us to hear well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Here, let me put you in charge of many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So here we have greed, we have rebellion, and grumbling. All three very, very serious sins that led to the downfall fall of the first generation of Israelites after leaving Egypt. The final straw came when the people listened to the negative report of 10 of the 12 spies who had been sent into Canaan to survey the land, which you can read about in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said the Lord would be with us. We can take this land. We can do this. So two of ten, which tells me, please listen, in God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, major opinion isn't always right. I care less I care not at all what the government says is right or wrong. It's God's word. And the government can say sex between two men is okay, sanctioned by the government. God's word still says it's sin. Let me be very plain on that. I will not deviate from that. And it's not being judgmental. It's being biblical. All right, amen, amen. But anyway, so uh, where would I get off on that one? In God's kingdom, major opinion isn't always right. And, and so here, here's the deal. Ten saw the giants. Two saw God. Amen. Amen? Ten saw the giants. What's your focus on? Where's your focus? Joshua and Caleb saw God. See, the other ten spies said, no, nah, we can't do it. The, Canaanites, the Canaanite inhabitants were too strong. Well, heeding the negative report, the people rebelled against God. They grumbled against Moses and proposed to replace him with another leader that would take them back to Egypt. There's that greed again. You see, God had enough. And pronouncing judgment on the people, he declared that no one of that first generation would enter the promised land. Friends, I want you to see how serious these sins are. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, Church, I'm warning you. Based on this illustration from Israel's history, I'm warning you, take heed, be on guard, watch your hearts. You see, Israel's stubborn rebellion and their rebellious hearts forfeited their chance to finish the race and enter into God's purpose for them. The exception, Joshua and Caleb. Because they had remained faithful, they received God's reward of entering safely into the land. However... Even they had to endure the 40 years in the wilderness before the promise was fulfilled. Your grumbling, your complaining, your rebellious heart affects others. So, an entire generation died in the wilderness outside of God's will and God's purpose. It remained for their children, under the leadership of Joshua, to enter in and to, to continue that race. Almost an entire generation died in the wilderness because of unbelief. They died because of greed. They died because of rebellion. They died because of grumbling. And next week, Lord willing, we'll look at idolatry and immorality. Also prevalent sins in America today and in the church today. All these sins are serious. All these sins pose a problem for the church. But idolatry and immorality are so rampant today that they are particularly dangerous. And We'll look at those next week, Lord willing. Keep in mind, church, the wilderness was never God's final goal for the nation of Israel. The wilderness was only to be a place of transition, a place of growth, a place of maturity, a place of testing, a place of trying, a temporary and brief interlude really between Egypt and the land of Canaan. Unfortunately, the wilderness became a permanent dwelling place for most of them. For most, sinned against God and their bodies, it says, were scattered in the desert, in the wilderness. What was intended to be the beginning part of their journey became their final resting place. Church, let us commit ourselves to God. Let us commit ourselves to run the race with perseverance. Even, even when things don't go the way we want them to go. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. We'll close in prayer.